are thankful this morning that you are worthy of all the worship that we can give you, that that worthiness will always be there because you will always be our God. How grateful we are today to be able to worship you through singing. And now as we open up your word, we pray that we would continue to worship and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us about what it means to treasure you, to cling to you above all others. It's in Jesus' good name I pray, amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, look with me in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is where we will spend our time this morning. I want to share a message with you called, Let It Go. Uh, Can't wait till the invitation hymn, uh, because the cold never bothered me anyway. but uh, we're, we're going to look at uh, an encounter Jesus had with a young man, and, and I hope that you'll leave here today uh, letting some things go. You know, God loves to bless his children. You say amen to that right there. Amen. He loves to bless us. God is a generous God as a Loving Father, He showers His children with good gifts and blesses us far beyond what we deserve. James reminds us that every good gift, every perfect gift we have in this world that we enjoy in our lives comes to us from the good hand of a generous God. And though I will never be able to fully comprehend why God is so generous to me and why God chooses to be so generous to us, I do know that there are a couple of things that God hopes to accomplish in his generosity to us. God blesses us most of the time simply because he wants to bless us, simply because he wants us to enjoy the abundant life that he has died to offer us, that Jesus has died so we could enjoy. And and God just wants us to live in those blessings. But God also blesses us so that we can then be a blessing to others. You and I We have been entrusted. That's the reason I'm titling this series over the next couple of messages, Entrusted, Using the Gifts of God for the Glory of God. We have been entrusted with gifts from God, and God's desire is that we use those gifts for His glory. There's a Bible word for that, another Bible word that you may have heard before. It's called stewardship. Now, if you're kind of new to church, you're kind of new to the Christian life, stewardship may seem like an an odd word to use, but it very simply means that we've been entrusted, that we are managers of the resources that God has given to us. And as stewards, there is expectations upon us. For example, Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, where he says that it's required of stewards, you and I, that we be found faithful, that we are trusted. 
trustworthy because we have been entrusted with gifts from God. If you are a steward, it's not up for debate. You are a steward of what God has given to you. The question is, how well are you handling that which God has entrusted to you? We're going to see today an encounter that Jesus had with a young man who who could have been a great steward with his resources, but he walked away from Jesus because he simply could not let go of the thing that was keeping him from following Jesus. If we're going to be faithful stewards, if we're going to Be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. If we're going to honor God with those things that he's given us and with which he's blessed us, we're going to have to learn to let some stuff go. Let's jump on our text and see what happens. Luke chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? The Greek word used for ruler in that verse implies that this young man was a religious ruler. He was a churchgoer. He probably served on one of the 14,000 committees that the church had at this time, that it was some measure in which he was involved in religious life. And and the answer to Jesus' question should have been simple from our perspective, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We expect Jesus to say, well, trust in me as your Savior. Whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. However, Jesus does not say that because he can see into the heart of this young man, and he wants this young man to realize a couple of things. So Jesus, even though he's going to deliver the same message, is going to approach it from a different perspective. Verse 19. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now Jesus is challenging this young man's superficial view of goodness. This guy thinks that he's a good guy. He thinks Jesus is a good guy. He thinks pretty much everyone is a good person. Have you heard that theology? Have you heard people say, well, uh, left to ourselves. I mean, we are all basically good people and and we want to basically do good good things. And Jesus is going to challenge this. Jesus, in essence, says, do you really think you're good enough for God? Do you really think you're good enough to inherit eternal life? The young man doesn't get it yet, so Jesus presses further. You know the commandments. In verse 20, he says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. The universal standard for goodness in Scripture is the Ten Commandments. So Jesus says, how you doing in keeping those Ten Commandments? Now, this question should have caused the young man to give serious pause I mean, we're not even going to look at the ones you just mentioned, but I'm just going to pull one of them out. Let's just look at that one where it says, do not bear false witness. 
Is there anyone in this room today who can say, all my life, in every situation, I have always, without fail, told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I have never bent the truth to get out of a bad situation. I've never stretched the truth to make myself look better in a situation. If Can anyone here say that? Hint, if you raise your hand, you just broke this command. No one can say that. So surely this young man will realize at this moment, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Not this guy. Verse 21. And he said, all these (laughs) I have kept from my youth. This guy has no concept of how not good he is. He has no concept of how insufficient his goodness is for earning God's favor. And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to have to just be very direct. And look at what the rest of our text tells us, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he, this young man, heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. If we are going to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to us from our relationship with him to the belongings that we possess, we have to learn to let it go of three things that I see in this text. First, First is this, we must let go of our goodness and cling to the grace of God. If we're going to steward well the life and the gift that God's given us, we must let go of our, and I put that goodness in quotes because none of us really possess goodness. We must let go of our sense of goodness and cling to the grace of God. The primary purpose that Jesus had in this conversation was to help this young man see his need to abandon his perceived goodness and to rest in God's grace. That's why Jesus makes this statement, this weird statement in verse 25 about a camel and the eye of a needle. Now, man, theologians love to sit around and talk about this all day long. I'm a simple-minded person. I think Jesus is simply using hyperbole. I think a camel is about a big, an animal, as they're aware of. I think maybe the small, one of the smallest things that, that you could think of is also the eye of a needle. And I think 
Jesus was using hyperbole to drive home a point. Jesus is not teaching that wealthy people cannot go to heaven. Lots of people lived righteous lives and had wealth, and they're in heaven today. Abraham and King David and Job and Queen Esther, that's not what Jesus is teaching. It's important to understand this. (coughs) The original audience that Jesus was teaching and who heard this teaching, these were people who thought of riches as a sign of God's blessings. You see, these are people, Jesus' original audience, who were steeped in the book of Proverbs. And, and Proverbs says that the wise man is usually the wealthy man, and wealth is often a sign of God's favor. Yes, there are exceptions, of course. Ecclesiastes talks about the hardworking man who is poor, and it talks about the lazy, immoral man who is rich. But generally speaking, proverbially speaking, wisdom and blessing and wealth go together. This is why when Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter heaven, they respond by going, then who can be saved? If the righteous people, the ones blessed by God with wealth, if they can't be saved, who can? And Jesus answered, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is teaching us that salvation is not a reward for righteousness. Jesus is teaching us that you can never be wise enough or good enough or righteous enough or blessed enough to earn eternal life. Salvation is a gift God gives to those who will humbly admit that they are hopeless without it. Let me give you a case study. Since you asked for one, I think about the thief on the cross who had thrown away his entire life. He had lived a life of crime. He was an outcast from society. No one wanted him around. And there at the end of his life, as he's dying alone, as a condemned, despised man, he recognizes who Jesus is and he asks for mercy. And he says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He has no theology. He has no time to make up for his bad deeds. He has not been to seminary or to Bible college. He simply asked for mercy. And Jesus told him, you will be with me today in paradise. And that very night, he sat in the presence of God with Abraham and Moses and Ruth and Esther. This man had no good works that he could bring, no sacrifices he had made. His whole life was nothing but bad works. He was, as he hung on that cross by Jesus, as spiritually poor as they came. But that night he entered heaven with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Eternal life wasn't something that he could earn, nor was it something he needed to earn. 
It was something that he only could have received. My friend, the greatest gift you will ever receive in this life is a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you cannot receive that greatest gift of God, salvation, until you let go of your perceived goodness and cling to the grace of God. Some of you may need to let go of your goodness and cling to God's grace. Second, we must let go of riches. Here we go. So we can enjoy our relationship with God. Jesus took things a step further. And he said that riches actually hinder a person's ability to enter the kingdom of God and to have a relationship with God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm not among the rich. That's our American way of looking at things. But let me say this to you, speaking from the, the global situation, if you know where your next meal is coming from, Taco Bell, Texas Roadhouse, whatever. If you know where your next meal's coming from, you're considered rich. If you've got money in your couch, some of you, your next meal's in your couch. That's kind of weird how that works. But if you can look through your couch and find some spare change or a couple old french fries, <laughs> you are considered among those who are rich. Similarly, money isn't the only kind of riches a person can have. You may be rich in talent. You may be rich in potential. You may be rich in your reputation. You may be rich in your family identity. You can identify your riches <clears throat> by identifying that which makes you feel secure as you look toward the future. Okay, I repeat that. When you look toward the future, whatever it is that's giving you security about your future, that is your riches. And look at what Jesus says about that. He says about our riches, <clears throat> he says in this context about money, that money is a form of power that replaces our sense of need for God. I can take you to a city that's about an hour southwest of London, a city called Farnham, where I've spent some significant time trying to help a couple of churches in that area. And every time we seek to do ministry, the church leaders there will tell us, this is one of the most difficult places to reach, not because there aren't any lost people. City's full of atheists. I've conversed with three or four of them over my visits there. City's full of people from different walks of life. But the people that live in that city are so hard to reach because they're all very wealthy, they're all very well-to-do, and they see no need for God in their lives because they think they have everything they need. See, riches have a way of doing that. You see, money, riches, it offers you control. When you have it, you can do things with it. You can get some things done even when other people don't want it to happen. Watch this. And because money 
<coughs> because riches offers people this kind of power, people start to love it. And when people start to love money, they stop loving Jesus. You said, I don't believe that. I don't care. Because I'm not the one who said it. Jesus said this a couple of chapters back in Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. This is Jesus. These are red letters. You cannot serve both God and money. Riches will offer you a form of power that is so seductive that the moment you start loving and delighting in it, you will stop loving and delighting in God. Some of us need to let go of our riches so we can enjoy our relationship with God because you can't love them both. I didn't say you couldn't have them both. I said you can't love them both and pursue them both as your sense of security for the future. Isn't this fun? (laughs) It's about to get funner. Number three, we must let go of anything that keeps us from total surrender to the Lord. Notice the words Jesus spoke to this rich young man. Yet one thing you lack, that he mentioned three things, sell all, share to the poor, follow him. Jesus was not saying that's what you lack. Because those are three things. Jesus said, There's one thing, in fact, we read it in our English Bibles as the same sentence. It's not. It's two different sentences. Jesus said, there is one thing you lack. You know what the one thing this person lacked? I'm going to give you a hint. It starts with J and it rhymes with Jesus. (laughs) So I'll ask the question. Jesus. I'll ask the question. What is the one thing this young man lacks? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is not saying we have to do something to go to heaven. Jesus is saying this young man lacked Jesus because in order for the young man to have Jesus, he's going to have to open his hands and let go of everything else that's controlling him and surrender himself to Jesus. Money was controlling this man. He could not take the hand of Jesus because his hands were full of money. And to reach out and take the hand of Jesus, he'd have to let the money slip through his fingers. And he simply wasn't willing to do that. And there are many people, (coughs) if we can just get really uncomfortable for a moment, 
There are many people who are in the same spot as this rich guy here, and they have a hang-up with their money. Here's the truth. When it comes to giving, most church-going people aren't even giving at the tithe level. Now, I know, to be clear, a tithe is not some ironclad rule in the New Testament where you'll get leprosy if you don't get it or anything else. Like I know that. However, throughout the Bible, the tithe is consistently presented as a kind of, of minimum requirement for good kingdom stewardship to give away 10% of your income. Now look, I am not judging you this morning. I'm just asking you, like Jesus asked this young man, if you aren't giving God that minimum, is Jesus really the Lord of your money? If you're not giving God <clears throat> a little bit. What makes you think he's the Lord of all of it? Have you really taken your hands and said, you know what? I'm going to let it go. You say, oh, pastor, I do that without fail. All right, I got some for you too. <laughs> because what we must understand is that money may or may not be that thing for you, but you have one thing. There is one thing that you lack. And here, I can tell you what your one thing is right now. Your one thing is whatever you're afraid to surrender to Jesus. It's whatever keeps your hands clenched around that thing so that you can't take the hand of Jesus in full surrender. What are you clinging to, on to right now, that's keeping you from fully surrendering your life and the gifts of God to your life for God's glory? What's the one thing that keeps you from fully surrendering yourself to Jesus. In our connection group this morning, we talked about the supremacy of Christ in Colossians and with those young adults and how that uh, there are things in our lives that there may be some areas of our lives we've surrendered to God's supremacy, but not every area. What area in your life have you not yet surrendered? Say, Pastor, is this really important? Should we really pay attention to this encounter between Jesus and this young man? Why is this discussion important? Does it really matter what I have clinging in my hand? It certainly does. Let me tell you something about the rich young ruler. He eventually became the rich old ruler. Listen. There was a time in his life when he was the rich young ruler. But a time came in his life when his influence wasn't as great as it once was. A time came in his life when all the stuff he had collected, he could no longer use. You can't use your stuff when you're dead. A time came in his life when people really didn't care that much about what he had to say. When he died, he was no longer young. He was no longer rich. 
And he wasn't in charge of anything. There's another rich young ruler who's telling this story in the text who met this man. And this rich young ruler, Jesus, was about 33 years old at the time when this encounter happened. And he was rich. He's the son of God. You don't get richer than that. And he was ruler. He was king over all creation. And yet he laid that down so that he could come to this earth to not have a place upon which to lay his head, to go to a cross and to die for my sins. If Jesus did that for us, why would we not trust him in surrendering everything to him? From the very lives we live to the wallets and the purses that we carry. I believe God is calling you to live a life that reflects the reality that you've been entrusted by God to use the gifts of God for the glory of God, but that's going to require you to let go of something. So I ask you this morning, what is God calling you to let slip through your hands? Would you open your hands to God today in full surrender? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Would you bow with me this morning? As your head is bowed, and, and, and I ask you to do this just so you can, you can ignore any distractions that might be around you. And I simply want to leave you with this question. At this moment, what is God calling you to let go? You are clinging to it in your hand. For some of you, it might be your goodness. You might be trying to cling to what good things you can do. The problem with that is when you die, you will die empty-handed because you cannot do good enough. Would you let go of your goodness and cling to God's grace? If you've already done that in your life, do you realize that you've been entrusted? Everything that you have is a gift from God. You have been entrusted with that. Would you let go? For some of you, that means that maybe you've never even got into the practice of giving. Well, the best time to start is now. Or maybe there's a talent of yours that God, you know God wants to use for the service of his kingdom. But you don't want to give up what's in your hand. I beg of you this morning, let it go. For he is no fool who will give up things that can make no eternal difference. 
and grab a hold of Jesus who will change your life today. Father, I pray for whatever needs and decisions are represented in this room right now. You know them perfectly well. And we know that our only response today, if we're going to honor you, is going to be for us to let it go. To release from our hands that which we're clinging to that is not you. So, Father, whatever you're speaking to our hearts as we sing, as we worship, Father, I pray that you would move upon our hearts. If there are those who need to pray, I I hope that they will follow the Spirit's leading and pray, whether it be in this altar or in their pew. If there are people today here who need to let go of their goodness and cling to your grace, I pray they would cry out to you for their salvation. Father, if there are those here who've just been disobedient or lazy in our giving, I pray that we would let go of what we think we need for security and that we realize that you take what we give and that you use it to bless others. We are here today because of the sacrifice of the saints who've gone before us. And may those saints who come after us and may those sinners who become saints in years to come, may that happen because of our generosity today. Have your will and your way with us in Jesus' good name. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you.